Uh, one of my favorite films, as I've told many of you, and, and uh, some, of you, some of you don't believe that this could be my favorite, but it's not Lord of the Rings. It's actually my very favorite uh, is Shawshank Redemption. And I, 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 I bump into people all the time that think, think this is among their favorites. It's just a powerful redemption story. It, it's aptly titled. Uh, it's a gritty film. It's not for everybody. It's, it's set in a 1940s, 50s, and early 60s penitentiary in the southern United States. And there's a, a lot of ugliness in the film, and, and it gets pretty dark at times. And, and you've got the, these men who, in a way, are, are like caged animals and begin, as a result of that, behaving like animals. There's a scene in the film where everything in, in the film kind of stops, and these, these men who have, have forgotten, in some senses, their humanity, for a few moments in this film, they recover it. And I want us to, to watch this scene. to this day what those two Italian ladies were singing about. Truth is, I don't want to know. Some things are best left unsaid. I like to think they were singing about something so beautiful it can't be expressed in words and makes your heart ache because of it. I tell you those voices soared higher and farther than anybody in a great place dares to dream. It was like some beautiful bird flapped into our drab little cage and made those walls dissolve away. And for the briefest of moments, every last man at Shawshank felt free. Don't you just uh, love Morgan Freeman's narration there? I mean, it's, it's really quite profound what, it's, what he said. For a few moments, we felt like free men. I don't feel free right now because my wife's correcting my pants. <laughs> Am I good? Guys, got permission. If there's anything wrong with my physical attire ever, just shout it out at me, okay? Like, because my otherwise she will. <laughs> Folks, what we saw there in that film was we saw darkness and what you might describe as ugliness transformed by beauty. It, it, you know, beauty does that kind of thing. It's the kind of thing that happens in the text that we're going to look at this morning. We're going to be looking at 1 Samuel 25, which is a story of David. And I've got to say this. If you haven't read uh, the, the 1 Samuel passages around David's life, they're really a, a, a great place to enter into the story of God. I mean, David, David is, is the guy who is the man after God's own heart. David would go on to be, be the the, the most celebrated king of, of, of Israel's golden age. Uh, David is the one who defeated the, the, the giant Goliath. David, uh, the one who has written or commissioned many of our psalms. And David is often the, the hero of the story, but not in this text. In the story we're going to read, David is at a, a vulnerable point in his life, and, and while as a warrior he's faced all kinds of, of dangers. In this story, he's at risk of an entirely different kind of danger, forgetting who he is and forgetting who God is. 
He wants to take matter, matters into his own hands. He's kind of hell-bent on, on destruction, and yet he is unexpectedly halted in that endeavor. And he experiences the most unusual deliverance. You might say he was interrupted by beauty. And, and you know what? It's uh, Mother's Day today, and I, I, I think uh, motherhood, in, as, as, as Lincoln alluded to in his prayer earlier, is just inherently beautiful. Uh, and, and, and beauty has surprising power in our world and, and in our lives. Like, like we saw, the, the beautiful music in that, that prison transform it. And, and there's something intrinsically beautiful about, about how beauty can change things in our, us and in our world. And so as we're going to dig into this uh, story this morning, we'll look at how, how we can be ministers of beauty in the lives of others, and how beauty can also change us. So if you don't have a Bible, our, our ushers would be glad to put a Bible in your hand, but we're going to look at this text, uh, 1 Samuel 25. It would be great to follow along, um, verses 2 to 35. It's a long story, but it's, it's a really, really good story. So let's uh, dive in. Put up a hand if you want a Bible, and these guys will, will get one into your hands. But I'll start at verse 2 of 1 Samuel 25. If you don't know where 1 Samuel is, it's just before 2 Samuel in the Bible. <laughs> a certain man and man who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep, so he, he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and, and, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them, and the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs, or theirs was missing. Ask your own servants and they will tell you. Therefore be favorable toward my men." Since we have come at a festive time, please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. And when David's men appeared, they gave Nabal this message in David's name, then they waited. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are, are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and my water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? David's men turned around and went back. And when they arrived, they reported every word. And David said to his men, each of you, strap on your sword. So they did. And David strapped his on as well. And about 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed behind with the supplies. One of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day they were like a wall around us the whole time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do, because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five says of, of roasted grain, 
a hundred cakes of raisins and two hundred cakes of pressed figs and loaded them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there was David and his men descending toward her, and she met them. David had just said, it's been useless. All my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that none of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with me. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift, this, this feast which your servant has brought to my Lord, be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles and and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone, King Saul, is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. And when the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord success, remember me your servant. David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. And then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, Go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. Lord, we just pray you'd you'd bless these words that you, this this story, this uh, living metaphor, God, and would you again work it into our lives in your way this day. Amen. Uh, We're going to dig into the story some. It's quite the story, isn't it? And I want to just give you some background. You might remember that David has been chosen. He's been anointed by God to be king, the next king of Israel. And the current king, Saul, is threatened by that. (laughs) He's he's jealous and and he's fearful. And uh, so he tries to kill David. In fact, six times King Saul tries to kill David. David was popular. David was a, a warrior. And six times David escapes. And David had even chances to defend himself, uh, to kill Saul, but David shows in incredible restraint and, and instead shows Saul mercy. And now David and his band of followers, about 600 men, they're, they're on the run from King Saul, 
and they're hiding out in the Judean wilderness. Now, now the text tells us that hiding out is not all they've been doing. They've, they've been unofficially become the, the neighborhood watch. They're, they're kind of policing the, the region, looking after things, keeping the local shepherds and, and herds safe from, from you know, raiders and, and bandits. And they were effective uh, from what we hear in the Scripture. As we read in verse 16, these shepherds testify that David and his men, night and day, they were like a wall to us, and we felt safe. And now it's the end of sheep shearing season, and Nabal, the owner of these flocks, would put on these lavish banquets to reward his, his sheep shearers and his herdsmen. And so David sends 10 of his young men to visit Nabal and, and put in a request for some food and drink from the, the banquet table. This is like Thanksgiving, and surely there's enough to spare. And as you read from the text, these young men were, were incredibly polite to, to Nabal, and and honestly, I, I think it was a reasonable request. They, they not only protected uh, Nabal's flocks and sh- shepherds, uh, they, had also, they knew that, that Nabal was an incredibly wealthy man. In fact, the, the, word, the Hebrew word for wealth describing Nabal in this passage is the word that we, we'd call it heavy. It's the word heavy. And I remember when I got married, um, I immediately, because my wife is a good cook, I gained like 25 pounds and... Uh, we went back about a year later to visit her family, and, and these lovely Sri Lankan aunts of mine would say, Derwin, you're looking mighty prosperous. <laughs> In other words, you're looking kind of heavy. <laughs> That's not entirely the, 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 the picture here, but Nabal was prosperous. He was rich and, and surely had enough to spare. Um, so David, I, I wonder, they're, they're, they're hoping that, that somehow Nabal will be generous enough to include them in this banquet, and uh, so uh, I'm also imagining that they're feeling kind of a little tired of desert rations, you know, the kind of stuff they've been eating in the wilderness, and they're going, I'm sure hoping that meat is back on the menu. We quickly find out something about Nabal. I mean, right in the first verses, we hear him described as mean and surly, but Nabal was not a wise man. In fact, Nabal's name, as, as Abigail describes him, actually meant fool. She says, he's a fool and folly follows him. I'm guessing, by the way, that that fool, which is not a name I would encourage you to name your child if you're having a baby. Uh, It's not not a good name. Even bad parents don't name their their kids names like fool. This is a name you earn. You know, this is a name that you kind of pick up on the way, right? I think Nabal did that. He lived up to his name. And so when David's men show up asking for some food, Nabal doesn't respond with generosity or, or gratitude for their services or, or even really basic Middle Eastern hospitality, right? Instead, he, he responds with contempt. He's like, who is this David? Who is this, you know, man, the son of Jesse? You know, this, this who knows who from who knows where? Why should I give him any of my food or drink? or meat. And David's, in fact, just, you can't, I can't overstate how insulting some of the things Nabal said would have been in that context. David's men come back, and they report this to David, and David is livid. He's furious. He's like, put on your swords. That's the first thing he says in response, and 400 men get ready to go out in battle and meet Nabal. And David is so, so ticked off. In verse 22, David's saying, this is on their way to, to Nabal. He's saying, by morning, I won't leave alive one male of all who belongs to Nabal. 
And, and just in case we did, don't get the fury of this, in the original language it would be quite furious. The, the King James Version actually gets it a little bit more, I think. The, the word for males in that is just literally reads, those that pisseth against the wall. <laughs> I'm just quoting the King James Version. My, my mom would be proud. Those that pisseth against the wall. Again, I can't get back into this thing. I'm just like visuals. But David, David is, is not content just to take out his fury on Nabal. He's thinking, I'm going to wipe out every male in that household. They will get my bloody revenge. And here's the thing. This story, it, it, it starts with one fool. It's soon going to have two. I mean, it's like foolishness uh, kind of just breeds foolishness, doesn't it? I mean, one act of stupidity, it's amazing how we talk about the, the ripple effects good deeds can have. Uh, there's a ripple effect sometimes with foolish deeds too, the, the impact that it can have on lives. And David's now in danger of becoming a fool like Nabal. And, and, the, and the irony is David, who's hiding in the wilderness because of this, this awful tyrant Saul is now in danger of becoming a Saul himself. He's, he's at risk of becoming one who would gladly hunt someone down for, for slurring or, or slighting his sense of self, his identity. I mean, this is David, who just the chapter before, he's, he's, he's demonstrated such holy and, and godly restraint in refusing to hurt Saul. He was, he was willing to put Saul... I mean, I mean, Saul was his enemy. Saul was threatening him and had, and had tried to murder him many, many times... And, and in that passage before, he's got Saul at his mercy. And, and what, is, what does David do? He puts Saul in God's hands and says, let God take care of justice with, with, with Saul. He was able to do that just, just a chapter before, but now he's about to take matters into his own hands. He's, he's in danger of forgetting God and, and destroying his own soul. It's dark, it's ugly, and, and as a result, every male in Nabal's household, and Nabal himself, will suffer for it. Here's the other thing, is somebody else will suffer for it too. David. He'll bear on his conscience the fate that, that Abigail describes in verse 31. She says, my Lord will, she says not have in this case, but it will have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. It's actually a fairly apt, uh, profound description of the consequences of vengeance. We, we look somehow, I think, for, for some sense when we've been hurt, uh, the temptation towards vengeance is such that we think we're going to be free through that act, that somehow there's going to be some release, some, some release of the weight. We've been carrying this burden. We're going to lay, lay that down through vengeance. And, 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 and Abigail saying quite profoundly that, no... Instead, it becomes a staggering burden, she says, vengeance does, on our consciences. So the showdown's uh, been set. David is now on his way with his men to, to destroy Nabal and every male in his household. But at least one in Nabal's household is determined to try and stop or do something. And so he appeals to Abigail. And Abigail's the hero of the story. She, she's truly one of the great female characters in Scripture. I mean, she's smart. We're, we're, we're told she's beautiful, uh, and, and not just skin deep. 
She's described as a, a discerning person in one, pa- one part of the passage. She's described as being wise. And unlike having a name like, like Nabal, which meant fool, guess what her name meant? A father's joy. Do you know what? I think that that should be the name of every child that has ever been born. A father's joy. And, uh, you know, I mean, I mean how did, you got to ask the question, how did Nabal end up with her? I mean, I really, well, I'll say this about Nabal. Nabal's not the first man to have married up, right? He's not the first man who, who did well when they got married. So she hears the whole story from her servant and how David and his band had, had kept uh, Nabal's shepherds and, and flocks sh- safe and how 10 of them had been turned away and insulted. And, and the servant ends his plea by saying, Now think it over, Abigail, and see what you can do, because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Let me ask you, do you ever have those moments where no one can talk to you? Where no one can say a thing to you? Yeah, me too. It's, it's not our best self, is it? That's not us at, at our best. In fact, it, it, according to Scripture, that's kind of classic foolish behavior, being unteachable. That sort of uh, stubbornness where no one can talk to you. Uh, we have a lot of teachers in this church, and, and I wonder if any of you have ever tried to teach somebody who is unteachable. They just can't hear you. You know, you, you say something, and they're like, I know, I know, I know! You know, but they don't know as they go on to demonstrate, right? They think they know, and it's crazy making to try and teach an unteachable person. As William Shakespeare said, he says, a fool thinks himself to be wise, but a wise man knows himself to be a fool. There's some self-awareness there. Uh, Another quote by Mark Twain, or it's also been attributed to Abraham Lincoln, said, better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to, to speak and to remove all doubt. <laughs> so Nabal behaves foolishly. He refuses to listen. But Abigail, uh, she springs into action. And by the way, this is one of the characteristics of Abigail. She doesn't sit around passively, kind of waiting for things to get better magically. She actually, she, she's a, a woman of action. She engages. She, she gets, gets involved and, and so unbeknownst to her husband, she gathers provisions for a magnificent feast and heads off to, to head off David and his men. And when they come into sight, she jumps off her donkey and, and falls prostrate on the ground, bows low before David. Try to picture the scene. I mean, you've got 40, I mean, pardon me, 400 hangry men, right? They're not just hungry, they're angry. They've been insulted. They've got swords. And, and, and there's this kind of showdown in, in the Judean desert, and you got this unarmed woman coming on a donkey. They're ready to wipe out Nabal's family, and here's Nabal's wife. What a, what a vulnerable p- position she was in in those moments. I, I think she was a, a woman in that day uh, in a male-dominated society. She had no status. She was weaponless. She was powerless. And so let me tell you one thing I know about about Abigail. She was a woman of great courage. That is not, by the way, a male-exclusive virtue. 
I, I know I don't have the courage to go through what many of you women have gone through in your lives. Incredible demonstrations of, of great courage amongst, in our midst, even here in this church. But notice her speech. It begins in verse 24. She says, My Lord, let the blame be on me alone. Please let your servant speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. This, by the way, is the key to the, really to the entire passage. Nabal doesn't listen to anyone. That's the way of a fool. David's acting like a fool, but, but will he listen to what Abigail has to say? Will he hear what God has to say to him through Abigail? That's the key question. Will, will David be a fool? And it's, uh, it's remarkable what she goes on to say and, and how she said it. Uh, it. It could really be a study in reconciliation. I mean, she starts by owning the blame, by, by apologizing, by, by making things right. I mean, this was a key to it. She, she sent you know, a feast for, for David's men to, to eat. But she goes on to, she could have just stopped there, but she goes on to challenge David in a way that gets to the heart of the issue. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases this passage. She says, please, please, please don't do this. This is not an action worthy of a prince of, of Israel. Remember who you are. Remember God's anointing, God's mercy. Don't stoop to fighting grudge battles. Your task is to fight the battles of the Lord. She's saying to David, this is not who you are. David, God has chosen you. She said, she specifically uses the word, God anointed you. And I think she was pointing back to to that moment where David, forgotten runt of his family, is is selected by his family. And God put his, his hands on David's life. And, and raised him up to be a king, to be a person of, of calling and destiny. I like Abigail's next line, which just kind of reinforces this. Even though, she says, someone is pursuing you, that's King Saul, to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. She says to David, your life is now bound inextricably with God's. <laughs> You're tied up with God, David, whether you like it or not. He's in your life through thick and, and thin. And, and your, your, your sense of self, your, your very life itself is bound up not in how other people think of you or, or how people treat you. You're bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. I was uh, thinking this week of just how vulnerable we can feel when we get hurt. Isn't that true? How... Uh, those are hard, hard moments when we're, we're hurting. I was at a seminar a couple weeks ago, and, and the topic was how we process uh, negative emotions and uh, how important when you've been hurt or offended or gone through something difficult, how important it is to, to process that emotion, those, those negative emotions especially, right? To, to actually get to the place where you can sort of have some reconciliation. And, and I've, I've known for a long time that that anger, or pardon me, hurt, left unchecked, left unaddressed, will eventually turn into anger and, and sometimes things that are worse, right? Bitterness and, and so on. Uh, violence, and, and, and that's where it heads. Um, the, the, the seminar presenter actually said, there's, there's something in between those two steps. There's, uh, there's anger and uh, hurt, and then between hurt and anger is actually pride. And I, and I actually was... 
it kind of rang true a little bit to me, but I said, can you explain that for me? It said, the presenter said that, that when you are hurt by someone, well, often the, why the hurt hurts so much is because they're getting to some core sense of yourself, some core piece of, of who you feel yourself to be. It, it, it's particularly hurtful. You're particularly vulnerable when they're, when they're picking at a piece of who you sense you are. And so what do we do? We get our backs up. We get defensive, and we try to self-protect. Pride becomes this kind of defense mechanism. I'm, I'm not what you say I am. And, and as opposed to being kind of teachable in that moment, we are what? Proud, and it leads very, very easily. The next step would be to anger. I wonder, isn't that the kind of insult that Nabal leveled on David? I mean, who is this David? Who is this Jesse's son. I mean, it was a, an insult not on just on David, but on his whole family. Who is this upstart, this rebel, this kid from nowhere? I, I would not be surprised if, if Nabal wasn't pouring salt on an old, old wound in David's life. Again, uh, remember where he came from. Youngest of a, of a family. Uh, his, his brothers were all somebodies. And he was the nobody in the family. And I mean, even when, King Samuel, when, when Samuel the prophet came to anoint, I mean, he was ignored in the field. They didn't even treat him as if he existed. Imagine the wounds that David carried from his childhood. Folks, those, uh, those identity tracks, I, I, I could call them ruts, run pretty deep in our lives, don't they? <laughs> the, the, you know, things you heard as a kid. Uh, maybe uh, you were bullied. Maybe you were the least of your family or the, the, the least likely to succeed or accomplish anything in your life. Maybe a parent or a teacher or a sibling spoke a lie about you that, I mean, maybe it happened 50 years ago and it's still echoing in your life. This, this, this peace. And then today when some neighbor comes into your life and disregards you or disrespects you, it's like a trigger to that childhood wound. And interesting, our our response can be like David's. What was his response? Overkill. He's prepared to wipe out Nabal and his family, uh, you know, for an insult. That, that That is like, you know, killing a fly with a bazooka, Right? He's about to, to inflict a punishment that is way beyond the crime. And, and, and we can do that when we're hurt. We can sometimes, when, when, when something gets triggered from our past, we find ourselves lashing out in ways that's way beyond what the person deserves. They, they just happen to, to, to poke you in a vulnerable spot. And here's Abigail. So, just so, she's like beautiful music interrupting this story. She's reminding David of who he is. This, this behavior, she says, is not worthy of a prince of Israel. David, you're a prince. Your life is bound up securely in the bundle of the living God. And, and, and she goes on to say, it's, it's a great line. She says, your enemies, God will hurl them away as from a sling. What, is, what image is she bringing up for David? Goliath, when, when, when David was fighting God's battle, not his own. And God's saying, I'll take care of your enemies if you leave them to me. It'll be as easily as one stone out of your sling. Done. I wonder this morning, uh, have you ever had a chance to be an Abigail to somebody? 
couple, couple of weeks ago, I had uh, some conflict with someone, and uh, I was feeling pretty discouraged about it. Um, discouraged, by the way, is male speak for hurt, right? <laughs> Just in case you know, don't know. And I was, contemplated, uh, I was contemplating how to respond, and quite honestly, some of the possibilities were kind of ugly and immature on my part and foolish. And it just so happened that week that I was at this conference and I was, spent a morning with just uh, four of my pastor friends that I really am, am tight with. And we were sharing lives and I got to share where I was at. I got to share the story. And, and uh, I, I shared what I was tempted to do as response. And it was fascinating to me that um, most of them just kind of nodded and listened and were like kind of encouraging just by their presence and their listening to me. That was, that was great. But one of them said, Derwin, don't do anything stupid. You know, that, Derwin, that's not you. That's beneath you. Don't do that. You know, I, you're a God guy. I, I, I've seen you at your best. This is not your best. Don't do it. And can I say this? My friend that morning was like an Abigail to me. It was like a breath of, of fresh air, and it gave me permission to think, there is a God, and I don't have to do this. My, I don't have to take care of this myself. I can trust that God will take care of this situation. And he has, by the way. And, and, and it's Mother's Day today, and I, I'd like to say to you mothers out there that, that you have special powers in this. <laughs> you really do. I mean, moms, parents, actually, uncles and aunts, uh, you have a special capacity for this. That there will be very few voices in your children's lives that are like yours. <laughs> there will almost be no one who can speak into this whole issue of identity more powerfully to your kids than you can. What you say, they may be quoting to a counselor 20 years from now. Just beware. Right, son? Right, son? It, it doesn't, maybe not even 20 years, like, like right now. And, and, and the kind of thing spans from saying things like, I'm, I'm proud of you, I believe in you, but, but maybe even more substantially is saying things like, I, I see God in your life. I see, I see what God has for you. I see what God wants to do in you. I see God's calling. You're calling out this this God identity in them, what they've been shaped. I don't care if they've never been to church before. Every, every person on the planet has been marked by this image of God, and God's got this awesome destiny. And, and we should be able to see it and, and call it out in lives. Part of what we're doing in, as family, this is church, right? We're family, and we're, we're to do that to one another here. If we didn't get it from our parents, we get it from this family, Right? Where we, we call out, hey, I see this in you. And, 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 and you know, sometimes uh, we have to do something that's a little more difficult in that role. Sometimes we maybe see them behaving in a way that we go, that's not you. That's not you. That's not part of your calling. Don't do it. And, and we sometimes have to go and intervene when somebody's about to do something foolish or they've done something foolish and and, and it's words of love and mercy that will go and, and say, remember who you are. You're a prince. You have a calling. We can call out that sense of God identity. And, and parents, I, I challenge you, find ways, creative ways of saying those kind of things to your kids. It's going to probably be different moments, different times, different words. Let me also say you can be an Abigail to a friend. Uh, you can be a, an Abigail to a, a brother or a sibling. Maybe with a spouse. I, I think maybe quite important to do it with our spouses. Um, I love the film Cinderella Man. And uh, 
the, the, the Russell Crowe character uh, playing Jim Braddock, this kind of worn out, beat up boxer, fighting to feed his family so that they can just kind of get through the depression. And he's got one fight left, which he seems destined to lose. I mean, he's outgunned, he's outmatched, right? And he's got, got this fight, and his wife sneaks into the arena. She won't watch his fights, but she sneaks into the arena and sneaks down to where he's preparing, and everybody else leaves. And uh, she, with, a, with a, a tender fierceness that can only come from a loving and loyal wife, she stares down her husband, and she gives him these, these words, the final words that he'll hear before he goes into the ring. And she says, so do you just remember who you are? You're the bulldog of Bergen and the pride of New Jersey. You're everybody's hope and, and the kid's hero. And you're the champion of my heart, James J. Braddock. I love that scene. And, and he's encouraged, and I'm not going to spoil it. I am. He wins. It's amazing. And can I say it? Can I, I, I rarely ever kind of speak to wives, but can I, can I say, your husbands need to hear that kind of thing from time to time. We, we seem to exude strength. Physically, we got it, right? But we're, we, we've got a sensitivity, and I think, I think it's around this. We, we often are second-guessing ourselves and, and doubting ourselves, and, and we feel weak most of the time. And, and we need somebody to speak into our lives and say, you can do it! You're the bulldog of Coquitlam! You know, I don't know. We need to do that. And guys, you're not off the hook here. The kind of words you can speak into your spouse's life, your wife's life, can bring up hope in them and strengthen them. We're meant to do that with each other. Wow. Abigail calls David back to his best self. And she reminds him of who he is and whose he is. She, she reminds him of his identity and his calling. And, and, and remarkably, what happens? David listens. And, and he steps back from his sword rattling. And he steps back from behaving like a fool, from his intent to hurt a lot of people. And he heeds her words and he blesses her for it. He says, praise be to the Lord who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. And he accepts her gifts and he has a party with his men and he leaves Nabal to God. And if you read the rest of the story, God deals with Nabal. He's dead within 10 days of natural causes, or I might say supernatural causes. As soon as she goes back and tells him what happened, he, he drops, the, the scripture says he drops like a stone. We think, the script, scholars say he probably had a stroke. And then uh, kind of a cool wrap-up to the whole story is, is David, when he hears Nabal's dead, he calls for this beautiful wise woman and says, come be part of my family. I want to ask you a few reflective questions just kind of as a way of wrapping up this morning. And I guess the first question would be is, do you have an Abigail in your life? Do you have an Abigail in your life? <laughs> do you have a brave friend, someone who you have, not on just one occasion, but on repeated occasions, given permission to speak into your blind spots, to speak to you when, when you're about to go astray, when, when, when 
you're off track. You've said, listen, I don't want to be a fool. And if you see something like that in me, would you please tell me? Would you please talk to me about that? I'd say all of us need an Abigail, especially in times when, when we're going through valleys or when things seem dark or, or they're ugly. We're tempted to do something rash and foolish. Sometimes we're tempted to do the, the worst things, to, to walk away from a relationship, to, to walk away from a marriage, to, to say something or do something that we will not be able to take back. So we all need an Abigail. That's my, my sort of first important point here is find yourself an Abigail. Second thing, though, is, is I want to tell you this. I just want to remind you is that you have an Abigail. All of us have an Abigail. Uh, our family does something every Sunday night, just almost without fail. We, we have a family film night. And uh, we, we don't just watch a film. We actually have insisted that we actually talk about the film afterwards. And so we, it, sometimes it's been, been pretty sad, our discussion after some films. But, but we'll, think, we'll think about, like, what's the story about? What's it trying to say? You know, who are, the, who are the good characters? Who are the bad characters? What was the message of the film? And one of the, when it's a good film, one of the questions I almost a, always ask our family to think about is, who's the Christ figure in this story? Who reminds you of Jesus in this story? And, and, and I'm a big fan of Gla- Guardians of the Galaxy, and we saw Guardians of the Galaxy 2 last week. And in and, uh, and, and both of those films, it's like, there's great examples of Christ-like sacri- self-sacrifice in those films. You, you can see who, who's the Jesus character. And, don't get me started about the Jesus characters in the Lord of the Rings. We'll be here all day. In the story of, of David and Nabal, who is the Jesus character? It's Abigail. Just like Abigail, Jesus comes to each of us with humility and, and wisdom, urging us to live lives worthy of our call. Just like Jesus, just like Abigail reminds in her beauty, reminds David of the beauty of God. Jesus comes to us in his beautiful sacrifice, in his love and compassion, and reminds us who we are and what our life is for. And Jesus wants to, to serve us in such a way. Can I say to this, this morning that when you're hurt or you're offended or you've experienced some slight or some injustice, if we're open, if we'll listen, Jesus will meet us for real, in those moments. You have an Abigail. He'll meet you in that moment. He's he's running towards you like Abigail was to David. You're you're on your way to something foolish. You can expect to be interrupted on the way because Jesus does not want you to... He's he's wanted to stand in the way of, of your destruction. And and if you actually even throw up one of those small little prayers, Jesus can meet you in that moment. Like, just help. He's there. And he'll say, don't don't do it. This is is beneath you. This is not who you are. And he'll meet you in this moment, this moment right now. So I want you to, would you you do me a favor? And would you bow your heads? And we're just going to kind of spend a little bit of time in prayer reflection. I just want to ask you a few questions. First of all, is there a Nabal in your life right now? Is there someone who has crossed you or cheated you or disrespected you or betrayed you or offended you, hurt you in some real way? 
Who might be your neighbor? And I, I just sense Jesus wanting to ask each of you, like, like, what is he calling you to do in that situation? How has God been speaking? Are you prepared to forgive? Are you prepared to actually put that person into God's hands and allow him to take care of justice? To let go of that offense? You can do that right now. When I talked about triggers this morning, I, I wonder, has God shone a little light on an old hurt in your life? A place where if you're honest, you're a little vulnerable. You're, you're a little sensitive. And, and I, I can't pretend to know what it is for you. I, I, I know they're, what they are in my life or I'm beginning to know. They, God keeps revealing them. Since Jesus right now wants to to speak into that hurt and, and wants to heal you in that place, that, that place of woundedness. Or maybe this morning God is calling you to be an Abigail. Moms, uh, it could be to your, your kids. It could be to, to a friend or a, a spouse or family member. And maybe you feel a little bit like Abigail. You feel outgunned. <laughs> you know, you're, you're not re really in a position of strength. You're going to be going out on a limb here like Abigail was. But by God's grace, God wants to use you to keep someone from becoming a fool. Ask, ask God for courage to be bold. I, you may even need to, to spring into action. I'm, I, I'm talking about making a phone call today. Dropping in on a friend. Don't, don't put it off. God can use you to interrupt someone's life with beauty. Or maybe this morning you're aware in a way that you've forgotten and uh, Jesus wants to remind you this morning who you are and whose you are. That you are God's child, that you are chosen and, and you're called. And maybe you've forgotten that your life is bound up securely in the life of God. Maybe, maybe this morning Jesus is inviting you to, 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 to get reorientated into that identity, to rest in who you are to Him. You're His beloved. Let, let me be an Abigail to you just for a moment here. Can I tell this to you? Just keep your eyes closed. I just want you to know this, that Jesus is so very fond of you. He loves you so. There's no one that loves you like He loves you. His love for you is deeper and wider and, and, and broader and more beautiful than you could ever dream. And let me say this to you. You truly are your Father's joy. You really are.
so, Father, this morning, we, uh, boy, we identify with so many of these characters in this story. And uh, we just recognize our potential to be a, a, a fool like Nabal. A warrior, uh, an overreactor like David. God, we want to be ones who, who listen, who are teachable. Uh, we want to, Lord, not make foolish decisions and go off the track. We pray, Jesus, we actually ask you and give you permission, Jesus, to interrupt us on the way. Would you keep us from that foolishness that would lead to our destruction ultimately? We ask for your help in this, Lord. We we ask that you'd make us, make this church, make, make each of us individually as Abigail, beautiful discerning, and wise. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.